Amen. Good morning again. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1 in the New Testament. I want to share with you briefly this morning about the most difficult task as a Christian you'll ever do, but the most important thing you'll ever do as a Christian. That's a heavy way to start, isn't it? Most difficult, most important. Acts chapter 1, the setting is that Jesus is about 40 days past the resurrection. He has appeared to over 500 folks. He's gathered for what will be the final day of his earthly life to say the last words to his disciples. Those who have given their lives to follow him, they are the believers. And he has one final word of instruction to them. And of all the things that he could say, it's fascinating. We'll see it here in verse 8. It's fascinating to see what he chose to say to his disciples. Matter of fact, about 30 days before, he had gathered with these same disciples just after the resurrection on a mountain in Galilee. He said these words to them, very familiar words, Matthew 28, verse 18. We call it the Great Commission. He said, uh, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of every people. You baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the world. Now, 30 days later, his last day on this earth, Lord Jesus chooses to say one final thing to those 7-11 men, those disciples, who are now you and I. We are a believer if you are a follower of Christ because of those 11 It spread out from 11 to 70 to 120 to 200. One year later, 10,000 to the millions. But what is his final instruction to us? It's the most difficult thing and the most important thing you'll ever do in your life. Look at it. Acts chapter 1. It's verses 6 through 11. Our key text, though, is verse 8. But let's set it in context by reading verse 6. So when they, that is the 11 disciples minus Judas, of course, met together. They asked the Lord, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Interpret, Lord, tell us about the end times. We're fascinated. We know we don't have you much longer and you've talked about the end times and we want to know. Jesus had said a few things about it, but they said, Lord, tell us the end. What's the end look like? Well, that's a fascinating subject. We want to know that right now. I mean, we are fascinated in our world today, rightly so, by the way, because it's in the Bible. We're fascinated. When, when does everything change? When does everything be made right? When will this wor- crazy world be set up right one day? Well, the promise in Scripture is one day it will be, but not yet. Uh, we have a job to do between now and then, not yet. And so, uh, but the disciples say, Lord, give us the big answers and look at Jesus' response. It's a bit of a rebuke in verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Interestingly there, Jesus had told them a lot of secretive things. This one he said, I could tell you, but I'm not going to. It's not that important now. It will happen one day. Verse 8, but here's where I want your fascination to turn to. Here's where your focus is. Get it off the supernatural end times, but put it here for right now. But you will receive power. Literally in the Greek, you will soon receive an explosion within. When the Holy Spirit comes on you 
At that moment, the Holy Spirit did not indwell a believer because Jesus was present with them. He had promised in John 14, but when I leave, the Holy Spirit will fill you and indwell you. And right there, he's saying, and when he does, you're going to have an explosion within you. Power to do what? Here's what it is. And then with that power, you will be my witnesses. Uh, here's the most uh, important job in the world. Here's the most difficult job in the world. And I'm going to need, would somebody grab me that little orange marker there? I'm so sorry. While you're doing that, let's finish reading. And you will be my witnesses. Literally, you're going to be the one. Thank you, ma'am. In the Greek language there, that word witness there, it's similar to our word witness in a courtroom, but it meant two things. It was two things in the Greek word, in the Greek language. It meant to be a proclaimer and it meant to be a representative. He is saying there, I'm fixing to leave. You don't know that yet, but I'm fixing to be gone. The Holy Spirit's going to come in you to empower you and you will have one most difficult, the most important job on this earth. I'm going, but I'm leaving you. I'm going to heaven. I'm leaving you on earth to do one thing. I'm leaving you here to be my witness. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are saved, the Lord brought you to him, saved you to send you out. He saved you to share him. If you're still alive and left here, you're left here for one reason. The reason why when you got saved, he didn't immediately take you to heaven, which he will one day when you pass away, is because you have one job on this earth. You and I do. To be his witnesses literally means you're to proclaim him verbally. All right? You are to represent him publicly. All right? And you are lead, you are to lead. I'll put it over here. Third of all, what it means to be a witness is that you are lead, you are to lead people to him personally. That is to trust him as Savior and confess him as Lord. That's what it means to be a witness. I'm gonna leave you on the earth and you've got a job to do. You're gonna be my witness. You're gonna proclaim me verbally. Matter of fact, the greatest work of the Holy Spirit will be within you. When he comes within you, he'll give you a mouth to speak. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came on them, you can see it. They started talking about Jesus everywhere. That's why they went from about 120 to 10,000 because they told everybody. They couldn't speak like that until the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit empowered them and they spoke. A, a, a witness, first of all, is somebody who proclaims him verbally. That's our weakness as Christians. It's supposed to be our strength to proclaim him publicly. We represent him. We represent him fully everywhere we go. And then we lead people to him personally. Let's finish reading. Verse nine, after he said this, he was taken up, literally raptured before their very eyes. He's still alive. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, wondering what happened when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, angels. They said in verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? As you're wondering what just happened and what's about to happen, here's what's gonna happen one day, they said. This same Jesus, the same one in literal body form, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven 
Well, what? Underline this in your Bible. Here's the hallelujah moment. He will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. Amen. Um, I'm thrilled today to be talking about our most important subject and our most difficult task, and that is being his witness. I thought of so many ways to um, be able to share a very difficult subject, actually, um, I wanted to start this way, and then we're going to come back to Acts 1.8, and I'm going to show you five truths quickly about being his witness. But I want to set this message up with an illustration. Here's the illustration. This is a timeline of human history, God's calendar. Did you know, according to Scripture, that God has five major events for human beings on his calendar, according to Scripture? There's five. Two have already occurred, three will happen. The first one that's already occurred, according to scripture, is creation, of course. And the subsequent fall, according to Genesis 1 through 3. The fall brought sin into the world. God's remedy for sin was his second major event in human history, which is what? The cross. And at the cross, that's God's answer to man's sin, and God provides forgiveness for sin. The next major event on God's calendar has not happened yet, but it was referred to there, and we wait for it expectantly. It is what we call, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 of one place, we call it the rapture, or the better word is, it's being caught up with the Lord into heaven. Um, for, for all those persons that were saved between the cross and this sometime in the future being caught up, the rapture, we will be taken away with the Lord to paradise or heaven. I'm going through this slowly, but let me read for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 refers to the rapture or the being caught up. The next great event on God's calendar, it says this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. His ascension, he went up. We just read about it, Acts 1. One day, though, the Lord's going to come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel. Maybe those same two angels that told the disciples he's left with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet blast of God. And those who have already died in Christ will come back first. After that, we who are still alive and are left together, that means still alive right in here, that could be you and I today, will be what? Those of us who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with all the believers in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. There's the craziness of our world should make you want that time. We're ready for the Lord to come back. Matter of fact, interestingly, According to two of the most famous chapters in the Bible, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, which is very near to uh, uh, the end of the Lord's departure here, he, he talks about many, many things that must happen before the rapture, primarily the persecution of believers and many other things. Our world looks like it's coming there today. 
It's not, you're not crazy. You just say, our world looks like it's being set up for the return of the rapture of Jesus. You are correct, according to Scripture. Read Matthew 24 and 25 sometimes. You'll think you're reading the news. You'll think you're watching CNN. You're going, wow, that is our world today. Many, many things are happening now that have never happened in human history. Starting in 1948, when the nation of Israel came back uh, as a nation, that was one of the first major things that has to happen before the rapture. You know, according to Scripture, the rapture could never have happened until the nation of Israel was brought together. Seven years ago it was. And then many, many, many things, according to Scripture, are happening. Jesus could come back tomorrow, literally. After that, or I'm sorry, simultaneous to event number three is event number four. Here's where it gets more serious. The Bible calls this... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, future things. The Bible calls this future things. What that is, is once the believers are raptured away, there begins to be the culmination of everything. The world goes into a terrible spot. Uh, The seven years, the tribulation begins here. There are no believers initially on the face of the earth. They have been caught away and gone. Although believers will be saved during this time. This is also called the end times in the Bible. The Bible speaks mostly about this when it talks about future things. All the things that has to happen after the rapture is spoken in the book of Revelation. And then one day, the fifth thing happens is, number five, this is the fifth and final major event on God's calendar. Uh, it is called actually final things in the Bible. And this is where um, future judgment happens. We call this, this is also when the Lord recreates a new heaven and a new earth. These are final things. This is future judgment. At this moment in human history, this is when the Bible talks about every person will spend eternity from this point forward in heaven or unfortunately in hell. According to the Lord's own words, Jesus' own words, most will spend eternity in hell than in heaven. You had to see this to set the message. There was creation and the fall. Then there was the cross and forgiveness provided. One day we will be caught up and we will be forever with the Lord. At the same time that we are caught up and gone, there will be millions left on the earth who are not raptured. We call it the culmination, future things, the end times begin. It goes on for many, many years. Then one day, the Lord says, I've had enough. He will judge every person. Final things will occur. Uh, he'll recreate a new heaven and a new earth. Back here is what we call before event number one. This was eternity past where God was forever. Here we call this eternity future, where everything is in the future and one day final. That's what the Bible talks mostly about. I wanted to set that up for you, and I'm going to come back to that a couple of times because now I want to go back to um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I want to show you five things briefly about witnessing. Okay? Number one is this. I want you to see in that scripture the, the people who are to be the witness of Jesus. Look what he said again. You will be my witnesses. You, my followers, will be the ones that proclaim me and represent me and lead folks to me. Here's what's so exciting about this little diagram, if you will, and the whole truth behind it. The two most major events in human history are the cross 
at least that we'll experience if we are believers today, and being caught up. You know what this, these days are between the cross and when we are caught up or raptured? These are days, I'm going to call them the in-between times. The in-between times. These are the days that we get to be, according to Jesus, my witnesses. He calls us to himself so that we can represent him and tell others about him and lead folks to him. We have one job after the cross, before the rapture. It's in the in-between time to be his witness. You get to, and we have to. Of all that God calls us to do in our life, all that we get to do, as you and I as his witnesses fit into all eternity, he chose to put us right there, amazingly. We get to be his witnesses. Now, the power of being a witness was found in the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When you hear me say this, that salvation, there was a twofold work of the Holy Spirit which occurred within you regarding witnessing. The first one was this. When you got saved, the Lord gave you the, by his Holy Spirit a supernatural desire to share your faith. One of the greatest evidences that you truly are saved, that you yourself will be raptured away one day, is that right now you have a desire that comes from only the Spirit of God to share your faith with the world. It's not natural to tell the world about Jesus, but when you get saved, the Spirit of Christ comes inside you, you will deeply desire it. You will be burdened, you will be passionate about it. Doesn't mean you'll be very good at it, but you'll want it. But there'll also be a little bit of a, not just a supernatural desire, but a unique, unique ability to share your faith. Jesus said, when the Spirit indwells you, he will teach you all things to say about me. He'll give you the ability to speak his name. He'll give you the boldness to speak his name. He'll give you the desire to speak his name. When the Holy Spirit comes within you, the first and most powerful work he'll do in you is to make you want to tell his name to those who don't know him, to speak his name. It's a supernatural empowerment that helps to speak his name. Uh, uh, if you ever been in a situation where you're trying to witness to somebody, you didn't know what to say, and you say that quiet prayer of, Lord, give me the words to say, God, give me the words to say. No, no raise of hands, but I'm curious if anybody's ever had that experience. I've had it, I had it two weeks ago. When I'm sitting there trying to witness about Jesus and trying to, to explain him verbally, and I don't know what to say, and as in that quiet moment, Lord, give me the words to say, something Supernatural can happen where you'll find yourself saying things that you might not even known about, saying things that you weren't aware of, saying things you went, that could not have been me, fulfills the promise of Jesus when he said, when my spirit comes within you in that moment of opportunity or even that moment of persecution, you will be able to speak my name by my spirit. I'll empower you to do that. There's a third, well, I'm going to say this also. I have to say this. Um, when, you, when we near the rapture of Jesus, according again to Matthew 24 and 25. You know, one of the main ways you know that we're close to the rapture is there's going to be increasing persecution of Christians who verbally speak his name. There will be an increasing persecution of those who speak his name. We're seeing in our world now, it happens in many, many parts of the world today. Just read a fascinating story last week of several thousand Chinese pastors in China who speak his name said, you're not going to do that anymore. If you're going to keep speaking his name, you were thrown in a prison. And almost everyone said, by the power of the Spirit, we will speak his name. 
You can persecute me. I, I need to tell you, and I'm, I'm not a prophet, but I, I want to tell you something. I firmly believe in the near future, in the world we currently live in, there will be persecution for speaking Jesus' name like we've never known before. And that was worth the price of admission today. Because when it happens, don't be surprised. It will happen. You'll have a choice to make. I'll have a choice to make. As we near the rapture, things get worse for you and I if we speak. Now, if you're silent, you can hide away. But if you speak his name, the world will fight you. They'll hate you. Isn't it amazing that you can be hated just for the words you say? Jesus said, in the last days, they will hate you because of my name. You'll be hated by all men for my name's sake. Don't be surprised, Peter would say, about on the fiery trial that comes your way as though something surprising was happening to you. But know that when you bear that name, you are not to be ashamed and count it worthy to bear his name. In the days we're heading into, and I think the soon days we're heading into, you and I will be persecuted for speaking the name of Jesus. You'll have, an you'll have a uh, decision to make. Will I or will I not? Don't be counted among those that say, I am ashamed of his name. I will not speak it. Just know it's coming. And we will not be ashamed to speak his name. Amen? We will not. I want to see a third thing, though. Not just the power of witnessing or the people who are witness, but the places for witnessing. Notice what Jesus said again. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that is at home, in Judea and Samaria, to all the places of the world. Where will you be a witness, first of all? We are to be a witness at home. Witnessing begins at home. I, I debated whether I wanted to share a couple of things here, but the Lord put it in my heart. I've been working on this message for two or three days, and I needed to say this to you and I. As a reminder to us as Christian parents, that the purpose for being a parent, a Christian parent, is this. The Lord has given us children. And I'm going to read it because I can read it, but I can say it. The Lord has given us children to lead those children to him, and then for them to leave our home and lead their world to him. I'm going to say it again. The Lord has given us children. He's put children in your home for you and I to lead them to him. And then for them to leave our home and they lead their world to him. May I be so bold to say, and I fail often as well, great success from God as a parent is that right there. Whatever you do in life, Whatever you accomplish in life, your greatest accomplishment may be those that you're raising in your home who will lead your home and multiply your witness to the world around them. It may be your greatest accomplishment, not something you personally do, but who you raise and they leave your home and carry your name and the name of Jesus with them. Nothing, if you will, should make you prouder. The scripture says, I have great joy that my children walk in the truth. You'd have no guarantees you cannot guarantee the results of your children. And you're not responsible for the, 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 the decisions your adult children make. That's between them and the Lord. But you do have the responsibility to be a witness even to your children and to your spouse. You know what witness means? Here it is. I'm to proclaim Jesus to them. I'm to represent him to them. And I'm to lead them personally to him. That will be your greatest accomplishment in life. That will be your greatest task in life. That will be your most difficult task in life. Everything you do will be worth that sacrifice. Anything you give up, money, position, career, whatever. The time and the energy and the effort it takes to lead your kids to Jesus and to grow them to the place that they can leave your home and tell the world about him will be worth it. There's no amount of money that, that, that can replace that. 
it would be your greatest accomplishment in life. It ought to be your greatest task. It ought to be your greatest goal. And as a family, you say, what sacrifices do we have to make as a mama? Or what sacrifices do we have to make as a daddy to lead our kids to Jesus and to grow them up so they can leave this house and change the world for him? I want to tell you the second thing about our children is this. I have one prayer for my kids. Well, I have two. God protect them. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a safety freak. And number two is this. Here's my prayer. God, I pray, and I know I have influence on them as a witness, but I pray bigger than my influence, bigger than my witness, that each of my kids would have their own genuine, <clears throat> personal, real experience with Jesus, starting with conversion and all the time they come back to him. That's your prayer. God, protect them. And God, apart from me, better than me, bigger than me, bigger than home, I pray that they would have an experience with you and it would be genuine and it would be real. <clears throat> the, same thing, the same way I had with you when I was their age. May look different, different church, but I pray in the same way, <clears throat> pardon me, it would be real. The Lord will answer that prayer in your life one day. You may be gone, they may be 80, but you pray, God, give them a unique, genuine, personal experience with you. That's your greatest prayer for your kids. And he'll answer that. It's going to take some sacrifice on your part. It's going to take some work on your part. You know, your kids, especially your teenage kids, they're asking two things about you regarding their faith. May I share this with you? Number one is they're asking, not out loud, but in their soul, are mom and dad real? Is this faith thing sincere and real to them? If it's real to them, it might be real to me. And does it work? Does it work? I mean, does it work in life? Does it work in our home? Does it work in their marriage? Does it work in the, with us? Does it work by loving us and loving our home? Well, evangelism has to start your home, but evangelism or witnessing rather is bigger than your home. It's bigger than your home. It's everything you do. It's everything you are. It's everywhere you go. It's every person you note. I don't have much place to write here, but it's every little thing in life. I'll put it right in here. I want to tell you something. You moved to where God wanted you to move so you'd be a witness to people around you. You have the job that God wants you to have so you can be a witness to those people. You go to the school that you go to so you can be a witness to those people. You work around those people. You work around because God puts you there to be my witnesses to them. You will be his voice and you will be his representative. And you may have the privilege of leading them to himself to trust him as Savior and confess him as Lord. It's not an accident. You are where you are. We always ask ourselves the question, why did God move me here? Or why do I have this job? Or why do I want these people? In the big picture, in God's viewpoint, I'll tell you exactly what it is. So you could be my witnesses there. Again, he scattered, I, I said this last service, not this service. He took those 11 and they scattered to 11 different regions. They scattered all over the place, purposeful. Uh, when the Holy Spirit came in them, he guided them to 11 different places to do what? To be his witness. He does the same thing for you and I. Wherever you are, that was God's sovereign decision to put you there to be his witness there. Fourthly, I'm going to say the passion for witnessing quickly is 
You know what? There's a lot of reasons to witness, to lead somebody to Jesus. You know what the best one is? Because their eternity is at stake. Heaven and hell. Do you know what Jesus talked about the very most often in terms of volume as recorded in the Gospels? You know what it was? By far. It wasn't even close second. The reality of a place called heaven and the reality of a place called hell, literal places. He spoke often of the hope in heaven, the hope of heaven, the beauty of heaven, and that if you'll believe in him, you will know that place. He also talked and he said, but most will not receive that. Most will spend an eternity separated from me in a literal place called hell. Unfortunately, we hate to talk about it. One of the great motivations in our life to share our faith, to be a witness has to be because of the reality of heaven and hell. We've lost that in the church. We don't want to talk, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. But every person who passes away spends eternity in one or two places. And it has to be a motivation to tell people about Jesus because of heaven and hell. It was a motivation in your life, I believe, if you are now saved, the reality of heaven and hell. It was for me. When I was a 15-year-old kid at a youth camp, one of the things I heard real clearly is there is a place called heaven I want to go. There's a place called hell I don't want to go. And Jesus is the way to give me heaven and keep me in hell. I said, I want that. There was more there than that. I needed forgiveness. I needed a purpose for my life. I wanted a relationship with the Lord, but I also wanted eternal life. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Heaven or hell. Finally, last thing is, <clears throat> I want to talk about real briefly some practical helps to witnessing. Here they are quickly. First one is this. You and I should pray every day for an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus that day. That is a prayer that God will answer. I'll tell you, God will answer one day. Lord, I pray that my kids will have an experience with you, maybe apart from me one day. I'll tell you another prayer he'll answer. God, today, would you give me somebody to tell about Jesus? He'll answer that prayer for you today. It'll scare you. Start your morning that way. Jesus, today, one person who doesn't know you, one person that I could boldly say the name Jesus to verbally. Number two, or secondly, use every means available to share Jesus in your world. Use every means available. Uh, I think social media is a great tool to witness. I think uh, gospel tracts are a great tool to hand out at a restaurant to somebody. I think a t-shirt that says Jesus is a great tool, whatever. A bumper sticker in your car, but use every means available. I believe God's let the things like the internet, other things happen to share his name. Do you know one of the last prophecies in Matthew 24 and 25 before the rapture is that Jesus says, the whole world will heal the name Jesus. I remember when I first heard that in high school, long before the internet or computers, and I remember a man saying, we don't know how this could ever happen, but supposedly, according to the Bible, one day before the rapture and Jesus returns, the whole world's going to hear about Jesus. And he, I remember him saying, well, somehow there's going to be like a million different missionaries. There's going to be an explosion of missionaries that will go all over the world. Well, that might be true, but really, as crazy as it sounds, and God allows all things to happen for a purpose, we can tell the entire world to the, to the, the most remote jungle in the world, we can get the message of Jesus to somebody. Use every means available to tell the world about Jesus. Third of all, if you will, give the Lord credit publicly every day in your life. You know, one of the great ways you can be a witness in your world is when somebody makes a comment about something good in your life or blessed in your life or that goes well in your life, you can just say, that's because of the Lord. You can say that to somebody at a convenience store. Well, because Jesus has been good to us, because God's blessed us, because the Lord is good. 
it's amazing how much that will do. It'll, it'll open up a door. I call it testimonies of goodness. Give testimonies all the time of God's goodness. You can do it every day. Fourth of all, I want to tell you to get yourself and your family in an evangelistic church. I know this is being broadcast on TV, radio, whatever. So other people in this room are listening to it. Some may not go to church. Uh, sir, ma'am, I want to tell you, you get yourself and your family in an evangelistic church and you participate in that thing fully and you support it fully. Get in a place. See, this is called the church age right here. It's the church of the Lord Jesus that will be raptured away. Now, I know the church in the Bible is more than a building or a place, but people who are in a part of the universal church, all the believers in Jesus are supposed to be in a local church. 90% of the time in the New Testament talked about the church. It talked about the local body of gathered believers who are part of the bigger church, but they get involved in a church. If you're watching, they get yourself in a great, your family needs it. You don't want to talk about leading your family, get them in a good church where the gospel is preached and Jesus is proclaimed. And fifth of all, finally, thank God for your salvation. Thank God for your salvation and then share it. It will be out of the overflow of your gratitude and love for the Lord that you will share him. Those who are close to him find it much easier to share him than those who are not. Fall in love with Jesus and you'll find it very easy to talk about him. Get away from him, you'll find it very hard to talk about him. That's why the devil tries to pull you away from him because he wants you to be silent. The closer you are to him, you'll find yourself talking to him about everybody and you won't be ashamed. We're fascinated with these things. Don't be. That's on autopilot. It's going to happen. You don't have to worry about the world. Now, we, we stress about it. The craziness of our world, 2020 has brought it out in me in ways I never knew. But when I get to my senses, I go, God's bringing this all to a conclusion. He's got a purpose for it all. Whoever the president is, whoever this is or that is, it's all a part of his plan. He's got it in control. And as a matter of fact, it's typically the difficult things or the bad things or the tragedies in life that God really uses to bring people to him. So if it takes tragedy and bad things and horrible circumstances that God allows or God causes to cause the world to come to Jesus, which is God's agenda for this world, then so be it. Most people don't come to Jesus in the good times and the great times and the perfect times. They don't have a need. So it just may be that in our world today, the Lord is letting things fall apart at some level so that people will turn to him because God's agenda in this world is to bring people to his son, the Lord Jesus, and to use you and I to do it. So in the craziness of this world, you trust the Lord and tell people about him. In the, you and I, whether we're Christians or not, we feel the craziness and the confusion and the lack of the control in this world. Trust the Lord with that and then tell people about him because God's using the craziness to bring people to him. God's using the craziness to bring people to come to him like never before, like never before. Finally, I want to say this, that Jesus is returning one day. So get busy. You don't have, we don't have that much time. He could come back tomorrow. You know, if he comes back, he takes us away. There's no witnessing for you and I after that. There's no witnessing in heaven. We're not going to share our faith in heaven. Now's the chance. Now's your opportunity. Uh, seize it. Use every chance, use every opportunity, use every relationship to say, I might not be here for long or this world might not be here for long. So we got to get busy. We got to get going. You ever read the book uh, by C.S. Lewis called The Screw Tape Letters? Fascinating book. It's an allegory. Everybody should read this book. 
the, and I hope I tell this well, the, 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 the book is a story of three characters. Screwtape, who in this allegory is a head demon under the working of Satan. He has an apprentice demon called Wormwood that takes his orders from Screwtape. And there's a human being involved that Wormwood is assigned to to destroy him spiritually. When you read the book, uh, Screwtape, uh, the head demon, instructs Wormwood how to destroy this man's life. As the book unfolds, the man is saved and becomes a believer. And then the progression of the book is, is once they have lost this man's soul to what's called the enemy in the book, the enemy is Jesus, then they go to work on him. Toward the end of the book, uh, the head demon, uh, Screwtape, chastises Wormwood because this new believer, this new Christian, has gotten this tremendous burden to share his faith, Jesus, with the world. And the head demon looks at the prince demon and says, you have really lost the battle there. Uh, the enemy has taken his soul, his heart strongly. He wants to tell others about him. So here's what you do. And, and in the book, Wormwood goes, I got an idea. Or Screwtape says, I got an idea. Wormwood, do this. Let him have the burden and the passion and the desire to tell people about the enemy, but whisper in his ear that he has all the time in the world. There's no urgency. You can always wait. There'll be another day. There'll be another opportunity. That person will come around again. Tell him he can wait. Take away any sense of urgency. In the verses we read there in Acts 1.8, in the Greek language that actually reads where Jesus says, you need to be my witnesses now. Go, move. Right after this, they prayed in the upper room. The spirit of God came upon them and they quickly went out and started speaking Jesus. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, go, and make disciples. Move. Go. No time's like the present. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Go. Move. What the devil whispers in our ear is, there's always another day to tell that person. There's always another class you can teach. There's always another people you can have. You can always do that later. But the words of the Lord would be, don't rush, but stop waiting. Go and tell move. Let's get busy. Will you bow your heads with me today? We have a very serious and difficult and most important job in the world to be his witnesses. This was nothing but a simple reminder today for all of us. Start with myself. That the reason the Lord has us here is to be his witnesses. Our greatest accomplishment in life is to share him even more than that, to lead somebody to personal faith in him as Savior and Lord. It is why we're here. It's why we're here individually. It's why we're here corporately as a church. I want you to pray right now and bow your heads as, as uh, Dustin's going to play. I want you to pray two things. First of all, I want you to pray for those people in your life, close family and friends, that you have a burden for. You have a burden for their soul. You have a burden for where they would spend eternity. You pray that, that, that um, for their salvation. You, you pray that they would come at some point in life to have their own experience, genuine, real experience of Jesus revealing himself to them and them trusting him as Savior and Lord.
You pray for that now. Pray for it every day. Beg God for that. However he chooses to do that, that he brings them to himself. And I want you to pray for anybody in your life who you know they're believers, but they're far from the Lord right now. And they need to come back to him. They're wasting their life away. They're not being much of a witness because they're wasting their life away. And they're losing every opportunity and every chance around them. With every person, every place they go, they're squandering the opportunity. That's been all of us at some place. But pray for yourself. Pray for others. You go, Lord, bring me back to yourself. Bring others back to yourself so that we can be the witness to this world that you call us to be. That we not squander and waste our lives. And that you have the urgency to do it now. If there's somebody in this place today, you say, I, I can't, I don't know what about, about being his witness because I've never trusted him as Savior and Lord. Today's your day. Simply, you can pray in the quietness of your spirit and heart, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose from the dead, that you're alive, that you're coming back soon. I believe that you're the Savior and I trust you to be the Lord. Today, I receive you into my life. You tell somebody today, a family member or a friend, if that's you today. Don't keep that to yourself. And then after today, tell everybody that you know about Jesus. This has been a very, very convicting message for me to prepare this week because I fail in this area in so many ways, but it's also been good for me to go, this is what your life is about. All of us not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a person who knows Jesus. This is what our life's about. Those of us who know him to tell the world about him. And you commit your witness to Jesus today, your job, your work, the relationships in your life, the places you go, your neighborhood, all the people you come in contact. Lord, give me the power of your spirit to be your witness. Father, we thank you for the day. And as we worship you now before we leave this place, do work in our heart these next few minutes. As your witness to this world, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.